Well, NASA has had to postpone the launch of Artemis for the second time in a week, and that launch was supposed to include some Canadian experiments on board. Anyway, we are still fixated on returning to the moon, which raises the question of uh, who owns the moon and maybe even who owns Mars and the other planets. For more, we're joined by Dr. Aaron Bowley. He's a physician and astronomy prof at UBC. Hi, Aaron. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. With China and uh, Russia invested in space travel, many other countries too, it raises the question of who owns parts of space. That's right. So what we're seeing is a return to the moon and a desire to really expand uh, exploration, particularly human exploration in space. And with that brings in several tough questions on governance, not just the the technical aspects on how to move forward from an engineering point of view or what type of science you'll be able to do, but the governance models moving forward. And above all, we want to avoid conflict in space. uh, And we have to reconcile that outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, are right now internationally accepted as uh, areas beyond national jurisdiction. And so the current body of uh, law applied to space uh, says that no one can appropriate. Um, There can be no national appropriation of, say, the moon um, or orbits or uh, really anything uh, dealing with space. And so what that means is that no one can make a claim of sovereignty. No one can use something so much that it prevents other people from using it. You can't just occupy a place on the moon and prevent other people from, say, occupying that place on the moon. And so there are some real um, issues of how we can develop uh, a sustained lunar program uh, and reconcile it with the current international law. So fascinating. Such interesting questions, because here on Earth, we have certain rules around sovereignty and not being able to occupy certain places. And then we go and see governments do exactly that. So uh, in thinking about space, uh, how would we institute uh, any kind of rules around that? Well, it's um, there are a couple ways forward with it. So I want to emphasize that currently the international law as applied to space has actually worked out quite well so far. And the the reason ultimately is uh, space is so difficult to operate in that it fosters a lot of cooperation. Um, Space agencies have for a while recognized that in order to have a sustained space exploration program, resources collected off Earth are going to be required, particularly things like water ice. Uh, And you can use the water ice for rocket propellant, for radiation shielding, and things like, um, uh, of course, life support. So uh, finding those resources are going to be a principal driver of um, the exploration activities on these bodies. And we're seeing that with the moon. So uh, a lot of focus is on the south polar regions. While the moon is a a very barren uh, moonscape, uh, the craters in the south polar regions are permanently shadowed and um, uh, deposits of water 
over the eons of the solar system uh, have uh, allowed water ice to build in those regions. And so there's actually water ice there on the moon that can be collected. Uh, and so the real challenge from a governance perspective is to understand how we humanity, we humanity can go to those different parts of the moon if we choose to extract the resources and have these sustained programs, how do we do that in a way that avoids conflict? And can you extract the resources and own the resources without appropriating the moon itself or portions of the moon? When you talk about can you own the resources, I understand NASA has rules akin to open source, kind yes. of where scientists are, are required to share data, findings, material right. from space experiments with other researchers, regardless of nationality. How, how is that enforced? Well, for, uh, it's been pretty easy for NASA so far to enforce that because um, you, you either get the contract or you don't. And um, you know, uh, if you do not make that information available, then you're unlikely to get another contract, whether that's a grant, whether that's for some company to do a task for NASA. Uh, so the kind of the, the older model of how space exploration was done principally by uh, space agencies, you know, could really facilitate that type of approach. And that is an approach that we need to maintain for sure. But as we see companies are becoming um, the dominant actors yeah. in space, uh, that model is going to get tricky, and you're right to highlight that. And we don't necessarily have um, uh, an immediate answer for, for that. And it's critical that we actually have multilateral lawmaking and an establishment of, of what is going to be expected for countries to supervise their commercial entities who are acting either on their behalf or who are authorized to act within the jurisdiction of that state. So, um, you know, SpaceX going to the moon, what information can they get that will be considered to be proprietary? And, and that is not so clear. I mean, initially, um, some of that information um, will be dictated under the same type of terms that NASA currently has for contractors, but eventually they're going to be so capable going there that they could be authorized to do their own thing. And then there's the open question of, you know, how are they going to share that information? That's not worked out, but it needs to yeah. be. Yeah, that's so interesting. You mentioned companies coming into dominance for space exploration. We probably didn't even foresee that happening a few decades ago. And Elon Musk and SpaceX talk about sending humans to space when meanwhile people on Earth say, why should he or anyone else have the right just because they have the money? Yeah, so it's... There's an interesting aspect, and it's actually a wonderful aspect of international law applied to space, and that is there was uh, some real forward thinking in the development of the um, treaties and the uh, other body forms of international law, customary international law, that apply to space here, and that is all states are free to use and explore space regardless of economic development. Uh, and so uh, a state's right to go into space does not depend on whether it currently has launch capabilities. And because you also have the other components of international law, which say you can't appropriate a portion of space, it's also saying that um, even if so, states can't rush ahead, kind of grab whatever they want, 
uh, before other states are able to also participate. Um, and, you know, how this actually gets facilitated as states are going forward becomes a, a very open question whether there needs to be a benefit sharing regime, which a lot of states are reluctant to do. Um, but international law right now does have some protections for that so that even companies who are being authorized by states, because they're still ultimately authorized to go into space by states, um, they, they can't get too far ahead. Um, at least that's the hope. That's the way the, the law is currently written. So they were thinking ahead with that. You know, whether that gets thrown out through various states' practice is, is a whole other question, and that would just be a complete repeat of colonialism and something we need to try to avoid. Wow, so interesting. Space treaties, the next frontier. Dr. Aaron Boley, thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.